Welcome to PB&J Connection. This will not be televised podcast. Thanks for checking us out. I'm PB. And I'm Jay. Our health-related discussions will convey educational information about medical research, studies, facts, findings, and experiences of people from every walk of life. Concepts will be simple and easy to understand. We've got you covered, and we promise to not be boring. So let's dive into the world of health you won't find on your television. Welcome listeners, this is PBJ Connection with PB and J. And today we're going to be talking about weird things in your food and and how they get there. And so to start us off, Pam is going to ask the trivia question. Uh, what's, what's today's t- uh, trivia question, Pam? Today's trivia question is, what condition that used to be contributed to older adults is now being diagnosed in teens? Just think about it, and at the end of this podcast, we'll give you the answer. So let's get started on today's topic. You know, today we're going to be talking about heavy metals in the U.S. food supply. So everybody probably heard about the heavy metals found in baby food. Well, they knew about heavy metals in baby food back, I think it was 2008 when it first was reported about heavy metals. Now, they said that 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 the amount has evolved. You know, it's not as much heavy metals as it was back then, but there are still heavy metals in our, our food supply here in the U.S. It was first reported heavy metals in the food of the United States about several decades ago. And so a way that the government decided back in 1970 is to actually be able to control or to actually look at uh, food sources was back in 19, like I said, 1970. And it was the Food and Drug Administration that came up with this total diet study, um, which was supposed to look at all the levels of uh, all these contaminants in our food supply, including uh, heavy metals. And so that was done back then. And here's the thing with the FDA, which most people don't understand, is that the FDA doesn't really do what they call oversight or they don't do aftermarket oversight. 99% of the food that is approved by FDA is food, the chemicals are really, are, are actually food that was approved by the manufacturer. So if, so let me explain a little bit. So when a, a, a product goes before uh, FDA for approval, because it may have certain things in it, the company actually approves these chemicals as safe chemicals. Self-certifies, right? Yeah, it's, it's certified, right? And FDA certifies it as safe food because the manufacturer said it was safe. Not because FDA said it was safe, and this is 99%. That's a lot, you know, so the majority of our food goes out because the manufacturer or the supplier actually says it's safe. Not that FDA has done any, you know, research on their own, because here's a fact, and this came out in a June 28th this year article 
that was put out by the environmental working groups. So you can always go to ewg.org if you want to find out news about food. Um, but the FDA conceded that in a recent announcement that they don't have the necessary people or staff in order to do these types of inspections. It says, although the FDA commissioner, and I'm going to read this verbatim, although the FDA commissioner, Dr. Robert Kellogg, is reorganizing the agency um, for food safety program, the change will not come soon. All of FDA's top food safety leaders recently resigned <laughs> and, con and Congress this month rejected, this is just this year of June, last month, Congress this month rejected the request for more food safety funding. Well, why, so, I just have to say, why, now why would that be a big deal? Why, why, wouldn't we, why wouldn't we trust manufacturers to be so truthful? Why, why wouldn't we, Pam? And why, well, here it is. why, and why wouldn't we trust, you know, imported products and food products and supplements? Why wouldn't we? I mean, come on. People are uh, trustworthy, aren't they? <laughs> no, here it is. Are people honest enough? There are people who trust that what is being put on the shelves has been gone through rigorous, you know, inspections and testing to make sure that it is in the safety of the public health, right? I mean, that's, we assume this. We assume that FDA, this has gone before FDA, the Environmental Protection Agency, all of these big wigs who, who claim that this is what their job is to do, but this is not what their job is doing. And so this is not what their role in, in, in what's being put on a shelf, what they're doing. They are trusting these manufacturers because they don't have a staff, they're trusting the manufacturers and the suppliers to make sure to say when they submit submit their product, you know, the outlines of the product ingredients and so forth, that everything that's listed, including things that you and I may have never heard of or, you know, chemicals or combination of chemicals, that they are safe. And FDA says, okay, that's good. We'll go ahead and approve <laughs> because they've given them the facts. Anybody can falsify research. Anybody can falsify research. And Jay, you know this because you had your experiences in testing, you know, groundwater and, and the soil. And I know you'll talk about that um, to figure out, you know, how they do the testing and what should be what should be done um, by the FDA and what's not being done. So I just wanted our listeners to understand that because. There was one chemical, and this kind of surprised me. So there was one chemical, it's called BVO. It's a chemical that's used um, in sodas. You know, it's called brominated vegetable oil, BVO. I've seen that in um, um, orange, this carbonated orange soda that I used to drink. That was in there. Yeah, and you'll see it, you may see it in other sodas, especially those flavored sodas. Yeah. That the BBO. So here it is. I think so, I tasted it. <laughs> so BBO, this chemical that's used in soda, um, went for a safety review, right, in 1977 to FDA. 1977, you know how many years ago that was? 
To this day, that review has never happened. So whether that chemical, that 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 brominated vegetable oil, which I, I know a vegetable oil is, but I don't know what brominated vegetable oil is, but obviously it needed review, it required review, and it's to this day has still has not been done. So they've never done any review on it. There's another uh, chemical in the case of BHA. Now, I don't know what BHA is, but it's a chemical that... I think that it's a preservative, labs. right? It's a preservative, isn't it? BHA? No, no, I'm not sure because it didn't give us... The, the article that I read didn't okay. give explicit information about it. But BHA is a chemical that has been linked to cancer, right? So... Somebody, this organization, right, this organization, I don't know which organization because it didn't mention the organization, actually had so many concerns that they petitioned FDA to do a review and to look at this particular chemical because in their labs it was showing BHA was linked to cancer. That was, it was filed in 1996. FDA still has not responded. Now, I went on to FDA's site to find out what the reviews were on different things, and I looked at that one in particular, BHA, and to this day, if you look in it today, you will see unresponsive. So FDA still has not responded to uh, application for review that was done back in 1996. That's 33 years. I'm shocked. So if, it, if it's shocked, people, I tell you, <laughs> if it's killing people, it's killing people. You know, it's like one of those things that, oh, well, okay, we'll get to it when we get to it. But, you know, that first one that's in sodas, that's just, that's too long. 30, you know, that's just too, too long. Both of them are too long, especially the one linked to cancer, because of the fact that if that is an element that is linked to cancer and people are consuming it at the rate that they are and it's sitting there on the shelves, then you know what, and, and people are, don't have the knowledge or are not looking at some of the, the food scores that you can find. And you can find food scores and ranks on EWG, which is the Environmental Working Group. And so if you go to EWG.org, you can look up food scores. So say like you want to look up a particular product it will list that product, it'll give you a score, whether it's bad or good, and it'll give you some results. So that's kind of like my go-to place a lot of times when it comes to food. So let's just talk about the foods real quick, and I'm, I'm just gonna go through these quickly. So the, the four main, when you talk about heavy metals in, in the U.S. food supply, we're talking about four. We're talking about lead, cadmium, mercury, and arsenic. So when you're thinking about lead, uh, lead can cause developmental issues. You know, when we talked about when back in the day, they used to have lead-based paint and it would chip. And they found out the kids were actually eating the, the chips off the lead-based paint. Leaded gasoline. Um, mm -hmm. They took leaded gasoline off the market because of the lead in the air. Exactly. So those things, and we know for a fact that they were causing developmental pro uh, problems in kids. But it also was, it, it caused developmental tissue issues as well. Just that's lead alone. And then we talk about cadmium, and cadmium known to accumulate in the, in the kidneys. So it could cause, and I'm talking about prolonged exposure. 
I'm not talking about, you know, one or two, you know, you know, I might have a bowl of rice or something like that. It's like, or a, a bowl of brown rice one time or several times, but I'm talking prolonged use. You know, cadmium can be, you know, is is actually not a good thing um, because of the fact that it can accumulate in the kidneys and it can cause kidney damage. And then we have mercury. Um, it can cause a harm to the entire nervous system, particularly in newborn and uh, young children, very young children. And um, then there's arsenic. And of course, we all heard about ar arsenic and rice, you know, especially brown rice. It's high levels of arsenic and brown rice. Um, and then there's uh, the arsenic increased risk of various cancers, um, skin lesions, and cardiovascular disease as well as diabetes. So we talked about rice. Rice is high levels of arsenic, especially brown rice. So if you're going to eat rice, eat it. You eat white rice because it's better for you. Now, seafood, of course, is high in mercury, which we've known over time. And, and that includes uh, mackerel, uh, shark, swordfish, um, and certain species of tunas have high levels of uh, mercury in it. And then leafy vegetables are high levels of cadmium. We were talking about cadmium. You know, cadmium accumulates in the kidneys and can cause kidney damage. Um, we're talking about spinach and kale specifically have high levels of cadmium. And then, of course, our drinking water. And it, it depends on the area and the region that you're in, whether there is, um, whether there is arsenic um, in the water or some heavy metals in the water. So it, it, it really, it's a lot to take in, but it's a lot to learn. Um, just by looking at the heavy metals in our food supply. Right, and uh, you know, Pam, uh, some listeners might be saying, well, you know, heavy metals, like, are those like pieces of metal? Like, you know, what's, what are you talking about? This metal stuff, this heavy metals, I don't know what that means. And so it's not like you, uh, you know, you're eating rice and all of a sudden there's like flecks of metal, of arsenic in there. <laughs> Or you're, right. you're eating fish and you're like, oh my gosh, there's a piece of mercury. That's not right. how, that's not what it is. These are like microscopic heavy metals. Um, and they are either naturally occurring, right? Just as Pam said, they're naturally occurring or they're residues from what has happened in the environment. And so for those who, for those skeptics who think that we should not have any regulatory agencies whatsoever, who think they're maybe too woke, whatever that word means, by the way, because everybody seems to be using it um, flagrantly and for no reason at all. But for those people who think that everyone should just, um, you know, companies should just self-certify, um, you know, industries are always going to be, you know, on the up and up and, you know, they're never going to cut corners to save money and they, you know, they're always going to do the right thing. Well, I say poppycock. That's not true. So anyway, that's just my personal opinion that I had to uh, put in here. But here's the deal. So when we're talking about heavy metals that occur from activities, we're talking about either current or historical industries where they may have been manufacturing something odd and either dumping the residuals on their property and it 
you know, ultimately leaching into the groundwater or dissipating into the air and ending up in the soil. Um, I, when I was in environmental consulting many moons ago, and I used to work in the field when we did field samples, we did things, uh, we did uh, sample groundwater and soil um, and even surface waters to find these kinds of contaminants because these properties that we were investigating were um, being considered for purchase by other companies. So they wanted to make sure that whatever they were buying, it was a non-contaminated property that would ultimately have to be cleaned up if it was contaminated. And so when you think about if you live in an industrial area or you live in an area that, an area that used to be industrial, um, or you live in an area where uh, the groundwater has been contaminated by some kind of Superfund site or some other kind of activity, even miles away. Uh, these are the kinds of things that might show up. Heavy metals and other chemicals, uh, volat uh, VOCs, volatile organic chemicals, contaminants, excuse me, VOCs, um, other things uh, may appear. And so when we're talking about, just as Pam was indicating, uh, the, the health symptoms that occur with those things, it's not like these heavy metals are just going to be flushed out of your system. These heavy metals kind of like stick around. They're heavy metals and they stick in your, your body. And if you are um, exposed on a frequent basis, they're not going to go away necessarily. That's why children are so much more susceptible. Um, they are small, small little human beings, and uh, they're going to be more impacted than adults. And so when you talk about arsenic, for example, arsenic can be absorbed by plants, including fruits and vegetables and grains, as well as by animals. So if uh, there's arsenic in the soil on a farm uh, where there are animals, where there's crops, and then those crops are you know, sold in the grocery store, they could have arsenic. And it's not like you can wash that off. It's like systemic within those crops, right? It's in the fruits and the vegetables. It's not like you're gonna rinse it off if you run it under the spigot. If it's in an animal and you're eating a steak, for example, um, and it was in a cow, uh, you're, it's gonna be ingested, right? Um, so those things are toxic. Um, inorganic arsenic is, what, based on what I read, the most potentially harmful. And, What's, what's interesting is um, when we're talking about chemicals and we're talking about heavy metals, it's not just food. It's not just food. So anybody who thinks that, you, know, you read these articles, I'm sorry, I'm on a, I'm on a little tangent here, oh, Pam, I apologize. Keep going, because I, I think I know where you're going with this. Keep going. Yeah, and we've talked about this in another podcast. We're talking about cancer-causing things and chemicals and things that are in our food it's not just in our food, it's in our clothing, it's in the furniture, it's in the pots and pans, it's in the water, it's in the, in the air, makeup. it's in the makeup, it's in the ma it's in your lipstick, it's in your eyeshadow, it's in your shampoo, it's, it's all over the place. And so I think it's kind of funny when you hear uh, these, these initiatives to address cancer. We're going to cure cancer by the year 2030 or whatever, you know, fill in the blank. It's like, right. we, we will never cure cancer because there are so many vehicles of cancer 
that they're in in the way people are made up, you know, whether it's genetics or exposure or whatever, there's never going to be this one-stop shopping to cure cancer. I'm not buying it. That new pill that they have coming out for Alzheimer's. Oh, same thing. Same thing. Yeah. And, and, right. and supposedly that that expensive pill, did you see the price on that pill? No, I didn't see the price. Oh, no, it's not a pill. It's, um, it's, um, you have to get an IV. It's through the, um, an IV. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. IV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That treatment for the Alzheimer's, which is only supposed to slow it down by, I think they said by five months or something like that. Okay. I, mean, I mean, I guess if you have Alzheimer's, five months is a lifetime, but. Um, the price on it was well. Like, here it is, Jay. If somebody has Alzheimer's, they don't know one day from five months. So. I, I guess. I yeah. Their <laughs> what, caregiver might, but well, right? their caregiver might get a five-month reprieve. That's the only right. thing That's I think. Of. But that is so true. But the price on it. So getting down another rabbit hole. What I read, and assuming that what I read is true, because you never know, is that. Not only is it like hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you have to go like every month, I think, um, but the, the person's doctor has to register that person to receive that treatment because I believe, again, if you believe what you read, believe what I read, uh, they once they have you registered, then they're going to track you. They're going to track how well the, the medication is. So you not only are being treated, but now you're going to be a guinea pig. A guinea pig. <laughs> right, right. So we're, you know. And so you don't know if you're getting the oh, placebo, geez. right? Well, no, that's if you're a clinical trial, but still. Um, yeah, but here it is, Jay. Not, you know that we're all created differently, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. You know, and, and each individual is unique. One may, may be very receptive to receiving it, and, mm-hmm. and it works well. Yeah. Another one may have side effects. Yeah. Unless the, 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 the study itself included such a large population. Yep, the sample size would have only, to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. With genetic as well as racial differences, yeah. you know what happens. Yeah. You know what happens. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to... Anyway, yeah, that's another podcast, right. I think. <laughs> but so... Getting back to, I'm sorry, uh, listeners, I went down a rabbit hole. I was talking about the sampling. So when we hear about um, the levels of heavy metals or any, any kind of chemical in, in something, you say, well, how, how, do, how, does you, how do you know that? How is that done? So assuming that they are still doing it the same way as I did it when I was doing environmental consulting, um, if you want to test the groundwater, well, they'll drill a well so that it goes down to the aquifer. And in that well, and I'm talking like a five-inch well, a five-inch diameter well. I'm not talking about like some normal well that you would find on somebody's property. So they, they let this well sit for a while, get it, you know, acclimated and, and into the aquifer. And then they go down there and they collect water from the aquifer and they have it analyzed. And that particular analysis isn't, you know, some guy with a test tube with a cork in it, you know, going to the local laboratory. I mean, there are um, specific standards and specific processes and procedures and even specific laboratories that do this analysis. Same goes with soil samples, same goes with air samples. So these samples have a chain chain of custody procedure. Um, There are certain certified laboratories that uh, go through and look at the samples, and then the samples are measured against baseline uh, 
you know, from other things. And then it goes into, okay, how many parts per million, how many parts per billion um, are, you know, are the findings. And there is a process for all of this. And so those who don't think that, you know, they think this is just kind of willy nilly, you know, like, well, who's saying that? And who says there are regulatory agencies and regulatory processes and EPA establishes a lot of them as do laboratories. And there, those things are all part and parcel of trying to keep us safe, you know, as safe as we can be with all as the chemicals and all the other crap that's out there yeah. that's impacting us with our clothes and our furniture and the air and the, and, you know, whatever we're wearing and whatever we're cooking in and, the, you know, the things that we're eating and this and that and the other thing. So um, I, I just had, I had to get on my soapbox about uh, those people who think we should do away with um, regulatory agencies and let, uh, you know, companies self-certify that, oh, yes, everything in here is absolutely, you know, positively okay and safe. And I'm thinking imports from other countries, right. too. Right, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so there's a process of procedures that are in place. They're not working well as far as FDA when we talk about our food supply, which is evident in, in the article, as well as FDA admitting to you know, the fact that they're not doing the job that they want to do. Um, but at the same time, we can be uh, conscious consumers, and I'm going to call this conscious, which means that anything that you, you know, I read labels all the time, especially if I'm picking up something new, you know, I have a tendency of picking up the label. If there's something in there that I'm not familiar with, the name of something, you know, you can go online Fortunately, we all have smartphones, and so you don't have to leave the grocery store. You can kind of go online and see exactly what it is. Um, I always say don't look at the ads and don't look at some of those. Look at the actual research. The only thing you have to do is put either science or research before the name, and it'll give and put the year 2023, and it'll actually give it to you. I wish I wish somebody would come up with the app where you can just take the picture and it would give you a somebody please I'm asking somebody to come up with an app. It will you could take a picture of the label and it I know there's apps that would give you um, calorie counts and so forth amounts of salts and you know uh, I think Weight Watchers has one where you can take a picture of the label and it'll give you how many Weight Watchers points. But I'm talking about something more entailed, something more deep so that you can actually find what a particular ingredient is and what it's there for. Yeah, get some kind of interpretation, almost like, a, you know, the they have apps that will translate English to Spanish and Spanish to English. How about if you, you know, get one that translates chemical names to right. like plain speak, <laughs> like for people like me? Right. No, I, no, no. Right? I mean, just the level of a seventh grader, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm all for reading, you know, being called a second grader in terms of, because I, I think BHA, I've heard of BHA, and I've heard of that uh, brominated vegetable oil. Cause vegetable I remember, oil. I remember seeing it in the orange soda that I was drinking, and I'm not going to mention a, a brand name here, yeah. but I was like, the heck is that doing in there and so right. when I was, and why vegetable oil and, and when I, I was care. yeah and when I was drinking it I was like am I really can I taste that vegetable oil <laughs> I felt like I was drinking <laughs> orange colored carbonated vegetable oil and so I just yes. stopped I I stopped 
there was something else in there too. It had something to do with a wood, something to do with wood too. I'll have to look up that um, that particular soda. Right. I think you it's still come out back there. And tell us about that yeah, one. Yeah, that was. I stopped drinking very it. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, listeners, that's uh, that's our show for today. But Jay is going to talk about the answer to that quick trivia question. I am. Uh, yeah. I thought you were because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I turned it over to you, Jay, because it just oh, it wouldn't no. surprise me in the first place. Are you sure? So, you, are you sure you don't want to answer that, Pam? Because I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead. So fingertips. I'm answer. sorry. So, what condition? Let's repeat the question. Okay. What condition used to be attributed to older adults is now being diagnosed in teens, and it's actually kidney stones. People, it's so it has become so common for children and teens. Um, over the past 20 years to develop kidney stones, of all things. So kidney stones are, you know, they happen when minerals um, or substances build up in the urine and, and they join together to form like this hard stone in the urinary tract. So I couldn't figure out why so much in children, but I think it has to do with our food. But they give a, another reason, yeah, part of it. So the family tendency, these are the factors of, of, of the common ones. Uh, family tendency to form stones, you know, it could be hereditary. High, uh, high diet, you know, diets high in salt, meat, and processed food. That's another reason, you know, we got a lot of kids out there eating fast foods and, and processed foods. And then low urine output for not drinking enough fluids. And when they say fluids, they mean any kind of fluids. But my preference, of course, is always water because it allows you to uh, flush the kidneys out without having the kidneys to process so quickly and so fast. Thanks, so Pam. Cause, cause... <laughs> That's okay, because it was, it was a lot, but I was, I was willing to do it. Yeah, Thank I appreciate you, that. Thank you, listeners, for being with PB. And Jay. Uh, for another great podcast on you, your health, and we're sending you much love, happiness, peace, and always blessings.